Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. So, one of the things I love about Advent, um, and it really came to meaning, um, I used to, uh, we, my wife and my family, I did a church plant and then pastored for a while um, in San Diego. And uh, to me, Christmas had become so commercialized. You get stuck in the rut, you're stuck in the shopping, you get anxiety because you can't get all your stuff done, <laughs> right? And you're just full of yourself. <laughs> um, and you just can't find the moment in your life to pause in that margin and give Jesus um, the thankfulness that he deserves um, for what he's done in our life. And so um, I was so happy when we started, um, when I really discovered Advent, not just as something that we did on liturgical calendars, um, but something that you get to experience. And so when we sat down at, as our family um, and started reading through the Advent devotionals that we uh, had in our home, and we started really focusing our energy and our expectations of Christmas, not on the gifts or the tree, the lights, because that's not really where Advent is found. But it's found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so um, Advent became something that changed the way that I viewed Christmas. Instead of a hurried, bustling, just trying to get it done, it became an experience where I got to ex think about Jesus as the center of everything that we do, everything that I believe, and it really helped me to see life from a different perspective. So again, what is Advent? There's not a uh, scripture verse that says this is Advent. It's not in the Bible anywhere. It comes out of the Latin word adventus, which is pulled from the Greek word parousia, which means coming. There is a coming of Jesus. He's on his way, and we're to look forward to his return. Um, we know that he came once in the flesh. We know that he came through the power of the Holy Spirit and now resides within us. Um, so we are looking at the two comings of Jesus there, but we're also now looking for that third coming. When he shall come back in the twinkling of an eye, and we shall, who are the church, be caught up with him, and we shall be like him. Um, so we're, we're looking at those and celebrating those, those co the coming of Jesus as we anticipate and prepare for that coming. Um, so during the Advent, there are four candles. Tom lit one uh, here, and that was the candle of hope, which guess what we're talking about today? We're talking about hope. We all need that right now, especially the way everything feels and everything that we see going on in the world around us today. It's not uncommon to, I mean, it's not a new thing, this hopelessness that we're feeling in our nation and, and around the world. It goes way back to ancient times, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But it celebrates uh, four candles. Well, five if you count the one in the middle. So we'll be lighting this week, we lit the candle of hope. And then next week, we'll light the candle of peace. And then the week after that, joy. The fourth week will be love. And then the fifth week, which is actually on Christmas, is the candle of Christ, which will be lit. But today we're going to celebrate the hope found only in Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Um, I often thought about hope as something that was more of a wishful thinking. Um, gosh, I wish, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, dad will get home or I'm hoping that I can get this done today or I'm hoping that this can happen. Whatever it might be, 
um, I got confused wishful thinking with hope. When we understand the biblical concept of hope, it is very, very different. Because hope is something in the biblical context is something that's connected to the umbrella of faith. Um, I've heard one person talk about hope being that emotional reservoir that when life gets too difficult, you need hope. When you feel like life is not moving forward, you need hope. When you feel like you're experiencing a really bad event in your life, you need hope. So from the deep emotional reservoir, desperation sometimes takes over. And if you don't have anything that moves you forward, you have a tendency just to give up. Hope, when you're in the middle of despair, the middle of troubles, the middle of trials, hope begins to be stirred up within us by the Holy Spirit because it's connected to the fact that Christ died for us and he gave us living hope and therefore we can move forward. We can have hope even in the midst of difficult situations. I was thinking about my sister, a real personal application right now. Um, some of you know that my sister... Um, her, her daughter, my niece, Brandy, um, was hit by a car last Saturday and was killed almost instantly from blunt trauma. But my sister called me, and we've been talking and processing through it. And I don't know that I've ever heard a wail that comes so deep from the loss of a loved one. But as she talked to me and she was sharing with me, the wailing from deep within her was piercing as I was listening to her talk and grieve about the loss of her daughter, my niece, Brandy, who always referred to me in a very Southern verse. Hi, Uncle Mark. I love you. The last words that came to my mind as my sister was talking and trying to work her through the shaking of her inner core at the loss of a loved one, her daughter. Many of you have experienced that. Maybe you've lost a loved one. But three days had passed and we'd checked in. And then she called a couple days ago and we were talking and she was thinking about what she could have done, should have done. You know that cycle that your mind just goes through that never can end. And you don't even know how to stop the regression. You can't, it just goes. And uh, we were talking about, and I was like, Donna, here's one thing I know. Is that Brandy loved Jesus. She often referred, I hope I'm pleasing the king. I hope I'm pleasing to the king. So when she talked about Jesus, it was always in the, the, the word, the king. And so we were talking, we finally said, it was like, Donna, here's one thing. Is we know that Brandy, and by the way, she left behind four kids. Several of them were adults. But those kids now are now struggling and they're watching their grandmother, my sister, on how she handles it. And so as we processed, I was like, Donna, one thing we can rest for sure and that is in hope. We know, and not hope, that we hope that Brandy made it into heaven. But we can hope with assurance. It's already assured. She is in heaven. And she's not suffering with the agony that her mind was going through of deep depression at times. She's no longer suffering about wondering if she's going to make it another day trying to survive. There's a lot to the story of my niece. And so Donna, we hung up and she was still wailing and crying, but I could feel a lifting in her spirit a little bit. And then she called me this morning on Advent Sunday. 
And she said, Mark, she said, I don't know what happened, but I woke up this morning and my spirit was light. And she said, I am at peace. I am at rest. It is the deep emotional reservoir of hope birthing up something that she did not know how to deal with. Hope moves us beyond. It compels us to activate and walk in the fact that Jesus loves us. He died for us. And the faith is that what we experience in this world right now is not the end. There's more to come, whether it's right now or in heaven, it is on a continuum called God's timeline, his purposes, his reasons, his calling. And it all works together for his glory. Thank you, Lord. So it was a blessing when my sister called me this morning. <laughs> she had no idea I was preaching today. On hope. She had no idea. And I said, Donna, you just encouraged me. See, after four years, you start moving and you feel the rust falling off a little bit. <laughs> she gave me breath in the joints with my spiritual calling where they'd just been rusted because I haven't preached in so long. But hope rises from the depth of our lives in order that it, we, we will be guided by faith and not self-destruction. Look, the world is operating in hopelessness and godlessness. And I'm not going to even begin to talk about all of that because I don't want that to be the greater testimony of what God wants to do in your lives today. What God wants to do in our lives today. Because he wants us to be a vessel in a world that is godless and hopeless. To offer something that is very real and tangible in our lives. That when we see all the despair happening around us. We don't add more anxiety and worry to the next day. But in the moment, whether it's in our coffee shops, with our friends, with our families. We are joyful because we are not guided by the circumstantial Things that we see, but by the reality that faith is alive and hope wells up to those who have no hope. And they need to see that, don't they? They need to see the joy of the Lord on our face, especially during the holidays. You know, it's one of the most uh, open opportunities for people is during the holidays. People feel very acutely the loneliness, the isolation. So hope is something that rises up to guide, to guide us by our faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Now faith is the assurance. It's the title deed. It's the confirmation. It's not wishful thinking. Gee, let me cross my fingers and hope I make it into heaven. No. If you are a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ, you are assured, you are confirmed. Jesus holds a deed to your soul of things hoped for. It is divinely guaranteed. It is the evidence of things not seen. The very conviction of your reality that faith comprehends as fact. It is done. Why do we wrestle with the devil so much and give him credit that he does not deserve? When hope cancels out his voice, faith cancels out his reason, his accusations. Why do we spend so much time warring with an enemy that cannot speak anything to us? Because hope 
is our guide and faith is our shield. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. In other words, hope is the expression of an act of faith that is rooted. I was thinking thinking about a big white oak tree when the property where we live had fallen over and knocked over some really pretty, it's a little cove in this one little area. There's these pretty little trees there. And this massive white oak bully, <laughs> knocked over by the wind, um, I fell over and knocked all three of those little trees out. And so we had to cut it all up. And um, I thought the three little stumps that were there were dead. And I think it was last week I looked out and I thought, there's a shoot coming out of them. They're coming back to life. Why? Because the roots are not dead. They are embedded in something that's giving them the nutrients to make it grow again. So I didn't lose my hope on the trees because there's a shoot coming up out of them. And that little cove that was so beautiful is going to be flourishing with trees again. But hope is the expression of active faith that is rooted in the faithfulness of God. It is a belief not a crossing of the fingers or wishful thinking. So hope is used in three senses. A desire for something good in the future. Think about God's promises. What has God spoken to you that has not come to fruition yet? A lost loved one, but God says, my finger's on him. My finger's on her. What about things of your past that you've not resolved. And it's almost like this future of God, help me to overcome those things. Is desire for something good in the future that perhaps has not come to fruition. The thing in the future that we desire. So we know, for example, I don't know about you, but there seems to be a pressing in, in my spirit lately. And I'm struggling in this tension of, the desires of wanting to let go of things that don't mean anything, but I want to hold on to them because they mean something to me. (laughs) But I don't need them. They don't bring any value to my life. But I feel this pressing of wanting to let more, to let go of the world more and more. And there's this almost as God, my father's putting his finger on my chin. He says, but look up, quit looking around you. Look up. Why? Because a psalm that's been in my mind a lot lately is be thou my vision, Lord. My vision of wanting to be in the world is disappearing. But my vision wanting to be with Jesus is increasing. And then the shift that begins to happen with all the things in my life, they begin to not look so important anymore. And it's a spiritual shift happening. And I believe it's happening in the church worldwide. That there is this insatiable hunger starting to develop this deep within the believer that what matters, what I used to look at that matters, that gave me value to my life, absolutely means nothing that much anymore. So Lord, help me to decrease these things so that I may increase in you and see you more. The things in the future that we desire, do you desire Jesus more than anything? And then third, the basis of reason for thinking that our desire will be fulfilled. 
I've been asking God lately, God, I've got a lot of things in my heart that have not been answered yet. And I don't understand why they have not been spoken the word into and given them life. How come I can't tangibly see those things happen? And God keeps reminding me they're already given life within my will. And they're on my time frame, even though God does not dwell within a time frame. But he speaks to us with understanding of time. The Bible is written chronologically over time. God delivering what we can relate to. Until we reach that totally eternal uninhibited state. God says, I've heard your prayers. They're in a bowl. And one day the bowls will be turned over. And everything that's been in alignment with my will and my calling for your life will come to fruition. And I, he speaks that in the middle of me feeling hopeless about some things. And God reminds me that no, I haven't forgotten. I've heard every prayer. I'm aware of every need. And in my time, all things will be met according to riches in Christ Jesus and my timing. So the main thing I want to do this morning is show you scripturally rich, the biblical hope that is not just desire for something good in the future, but rather biblical hope that is with a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Hope has a way of bringing together the past and the future in the present. Because if we don't have something to look for, by default, we tend to go back to the past. And the past is insufficient for where God wants to take us, where God wants to take you. You can't keep operating on the same mentality, the same experiences, and expect them to renew you into the future. You need a fresh experience. You need a fresh encounter with God. You need fresh hope. You need fresh insights. That's why Paul talks constantly about renewing our minds in the word so that we can keep. He had to tell Timothy that. He's like, yo, Timothy. Your flame's going out. Preach to yourself. Stir up the gift within you. Do what you got to do to get yourself active back into faith. See, God provides it, but we have to participate in it, don't we? That's the hard part. We just want to be passive, right? God, just rain down your glory on me. Make me feel so good today. But the Lord says, no, I need you to walk with me, to be with me. He's so relational. And he holds us accountability. It's called conviction. So hope reminds us that's what Advent is all about. It is the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, we live in a time where hope, hopelessness is so pervasive. I was thinking about the pandemic. Did you know that counseling right now is in an incredible demand? Couples had to face one another because they're not working. They're not busy. Individuals had to stop excusing the, uh, um, their reasons for growing and maturing um, because they just subjected it to the authority of the almighty work. It kept them busy and they didn't have to deal with themselves. Through the pandemic, all of a sudden, we're thrust into this moment of self-deep reflection where we have to self-examine a lot. And it has stirred up a lot of stuff. And I think some of that we're seeing up in our culture. 
the hopelessness of it all. We've got wars and famines across the world to divorce and broken families. Not to mention the rippling effects of the pandemic that are still happening. I like how one of Job's friends said it best. He said in Job 8, 11 through 13. <laughs> and, and remember, they're supposed to be encouraging Job. But they end up just discouraging him. I need you guys to give me some hope. And you guys are just giving me everything I don't want to hear. And I love that at the end, Job makes the declaration, but I know that my Redeemer lives. And it shuts the mouth of everyone. And you see Job, because of that confession, moving on into a whole new understanding of God's revelation. But Job, one of Job's friends says, can papyrus grow where there is no marsh? Can reeds flourish where there is no water? While yet in flower, not cut down, they wither before they, uh, any other plant. Such are the paths of all who forget God. All hope of the godless shall perish. We live in godless times. We live in hopeless times. But what's even sadder is a church filled with God's people that are hopeless. I mean, I think about that. We, the people of God, been granted the internal inheritance with Christ Jesus, raised from the dead to new life. God placed within us the ability to see things from his perspective. Otherwise, he would have never said to us that we should pray the kingdom into this world. Why? Because now we can see the kingdom at work through the work of the Spirit. So that we can operate in a level of this world that brings down the glory of God and manifests kingdom practices to the world around us. So that the mother, the widow, the orphans, the homeless, the drug addict, whatever it might be, would be an opportunity for us to bring in kingdom practices of loving and serving and kindness to them. So why? That they may see what we see. People who have... God's people, but have forgotten who God is. Again, hopelessness is not new to humanity, and it was not uncommon for the ancient people of God to fall prey. One such field promise that I want to talk about today is found in Isaiah chapter 11. But I need to give you just a little bit of context. It's a history person in me, because I feel like i got to set the context and the scene so you can see what led to Isaiah's desperation to pray the prayer and declare what he declared in Isaiah chapter 11. So we're going to step back because you can't, you've got to go to the root of something to understand the story. It's like if my wife and my son are having a conversation and I was like, oh, well, I, let me just insert what I think about that. But I have no context for the conversation. I'm just throwing stuff in there and I'm running my mouth and have no idea what I'm talking about. They're in the middle of a conversation. So you got to go back to the root of the conversation, right? To the root of the story. So I want to go back to where David is anointed king in 993 BC. And so what David does after he's being pursued by Saul and blah, 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 and all that good stuff, the, the, you know, the adventurous stuff, we see that he is finally anointed king in 993 BC. And what David does is he unites the southern kingdom, Judah, and the northern kingdom, Israel. There are 10 tribes that were in the northern kingdom and two. So southern kingdom, Judah, was a very small kingdom. It was only of two tribes of the 10, 12, 12 tribes of Israel. But we see that David lives a life. There's a lot of sin involved in his life. A lot of things happen. 
Um, but so he ends up dying um, around 961 BC, and his son Solomon becomes the king and the ruler of the entire kingdom of Israel. And we know that Solomon, he leads the golden era. He uh, rebuilds the temple. God wouldn't let David build the temple because he was a man of war and there was a lot of bloodshed on his hand. And so God said, David, you're not going to build the temple. I want you to pass that on to your son Solomon. So he gives Solomon the blueprints on what to do and Solomon builds the temple. But one of the problems was that Solomon began to take in lots of um, concubines from other people groups who were given to idolatry and pagan practices in exchange for favors or gifts or whatever and for building relationships with other kingdoms. And so as a result of taking in, you know, pagan, um, you know, not just taking them in, but being intimate with these pagan um, idolatry, idolatrous wor worshipers, what happens is uh, pagan worship begins to fill the nation. Um, and eventually it uh, just kind of just takes over the nation. So it becomes known as a pagan nation. It wasn't long ago uh, that a president here in the United States stood up and said that um, our nation is no longer a Christian nation, and he was telling the truth. I had to really wrestle with that statement. But the kingdom becomes unstable with growing rebellion, and eventually the kingdom that was united under David uh, is divided. So Solomon dies and what happens in 930 BC, the kingdoms are split. The northern kingdom goes to Rehoboam and the southern kingdom goes to Jer Jer Jeroboam. And then in 580 BC, uh, 143 years later, after the kingdom is divided, the northern kingdom had fallen into captivity and the southern kingdom is conquered by the Babylonians after the death of King Solomon about 137 years later. But during that time that uh, that Judah became its own kingdom, there were 20 rulers that were ruling southern Jordan, I mean southern Judah, which is uh, the two the two tribes that consisted that made up that that nation. And one kingdom, uh, one ruler that was extremely wicked in 736 and 716. You can say I got to get my notes because if not, I'll confuse all of us. <laughs> But Ahaz was ruling, and this is where we pick up our story. Because during the time of Ahaz, who was a wicked, wicked ruler, according to 2 Chronicles 28, 1 through 4, he says, He made idols and sacrificed to burn incense on the high places, on the hills and under every green tree, and worshipped the false god Baal. He even burned his children in the fire. You can't get more wicked than that. But this is the context in which Isaiah begins to emerge and speak hope to the nation. We even know that God, out of his mercy, gave Ahaz an opportunity to repent. We know that uh, Isaiah went to Ahaz and says, Ahaz, if you don't repent of this wickedness, um, you're not going to like the outcome. Ahaz continues in his uh, stern commitment to arrogance and is determined and becomes even harsher on his rule. But we know that because of this, Isaiah knows that the time will and the signs of life that the Davidic monarchy is going to come to an end. So Isaiah, in the midst of Ahaz, sees that there's an end coming. He knows that it's going to not only fade, but his line is going to end, which it did almost 700 years later after this prophetic word of Isaiah saying, hey, Ahaz, you need to stop. And so we sees ahead, he sees the destruction and the Babylonian captivity that would take place 153 years later. And we see that Ahaz, under, um, as a ruler in Judah, 
is the absolute, we, he leads the nation into rebellion. They're steeped in idol and worship and other pagan practices. And it's out of this context, out of this rebellion, out of this context of godlessness, that Isaiah begins to remind himself. He begins to pull out of the reservoir of hope, and he remembers the prophetic word of David, the David, they the Davidic covenant that God made with David that was found in 2 Samuel 7.1. It's an unconditional covenant made between God and David through which God promises David and Israel that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come from the lineage. It is Isaiah remembering that no matter how bad or how dead that stump Judah or Israel looked, no matter how much rebellion was going on, no matter how much godlessness was being practiced, no matter how many children were being murdered, murdered to the to the idols of uh, Moloch. No matter what was going on, Isaiah has to remember the hope, and he goes back all the way to the stump. So today's sermon is titled, A Shoot from a Stump. Isaiah is prophesying this a little over 600 years before the actual birth of Christ. Now I want you to stand with me, and let's read Isaiah 11, 1 through 10 together. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now, look, look at the empowerment here. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, which, by the way, these empowerments will fill the whole earth. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall say, slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The woof the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and the resting place shall be with him. You can be seated. A shoot from the stump. <laughs> that just resonated with me. Thank you, Toby. Shoot from the stump. In other words, God promises new life and hope will grow from what remains lost and dead. Isn't that how God works with us? I mean, there's been times where I felt like my life personally, maybe you felt that way, where your life just wasn't going and where God's not hearing me. My life feels like it's in chaos. And there just doesn't seem to be any voice or any ear that's hearing me or talking to me. And then all of a sudden, God begins to move and gives you direction, gives you hope, 
hope from a stump. So the prophet saw into the future a world that had lost all hope, a world in which the kingdom had been chopped down, if you will. And then God speaks into that. He speaks new life. He's telling Isaiah that this is not the end, that there is going to be more coming. There's more on its way. And that God's going to restore not just the relationships of the people and make it right with God, but according to Isaiah, he's going to have lions eating hay. He's going to have a lion laying next to a sheep, and they're going to be friends. He's going to restore everything that sin and the curse broke. So he is going to lift the curse that will never be operative ever again. God's going to restore it all. I have always wanted to pet a lion and put my face in the mane and wrestle with it. I've always wanted to do that as a child. But my mom says, if you go near that lion, you will not like the consequences. But he's going to restore new life and new hope. And I don't know, maybe you just feel like God's ignoring you or God's not hearing you right now. But again, God is hearing your heart. There are things in your heart that you keep pondering over years. And God's pondering, not only pondering those with you, but he has already answered them according to his will. And they will come to fruition. Many of you have daughters and sons who are not serving Jesus Christ, but you gave them at birth to Jesus and God, by his authority and his word, those kids, those children who are not serving God right now, by the de declaration of God Almighty, they will serve him, they will know him, and they will deliver his word. It is a generation of people coming up that may not acknowledge God right now, but I'm telling you what, by the de declaration of God's word, they will serve him. And my hope is not going to doubt any of that. Because God really did say that, then if I have hope in that, it is assured with deep conviction that it will come to pass. It will. There's things and dreams and visions in your life that have not come to pass yet. Many of you young men dreaming dreams and visions and young girls dreaming dreams and visions, you hold on to them because they are part of what God's getting ready to do in your life and you don't lose hope when you feel like you're not being heard or understood. Because you can't even understand it yourself. But you know God's birthing something. God's doing something. And so we hold on by hope with the assurance, the conviction, the fact that our faith says that it is a substance yet not seen but will happen. God, if there's anything that needs to be awakened in the church today is this sense of, 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 of hope that is understandingly is connected to someone and that person is Jesus and that we could walk in that sense of authority knowing that we are not to be shaken tossed to and fro because then people question whether or not we have hope and if we're spending time with God in the word if we are in prayer and if we are seeking to put God above everything then everything of the kingdom resides every authority every power in the kingdom resides within us and we are not ignorant on how to take warfare and use it in a way that honors God God's timeline, it will unfold. And I love that how this 
vision that Isaiah was quoting comes to real time in Luke 139.56. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judah, Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived, and she entered the house and greeted Elizabeth at the sound of Mary's greeting. Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave out a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that my mother of my Lord should visit me? And when I heard your greeting, the baby in the womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed, you believed the Lord would do it. You believed the Lord would do it. And then listen to Mary's song. <laughs> I don't know if something like that happened to me. I'd probably leap out in some kind of song myself. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful for he made his promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. You gotta love this song for Mary, for Mary. It's so full of hope. It's hope for a new kind of world. Listen, Jesus, he didn't just come to play. He came to reverse what we might consider the irreversible. Those things that are just stuck in our lives and we keep thinking, are they ever gonna be broken? Yes! They can be reversed. They can be filled with something more than just doubt. He can turn in a moment, in an instant, in one moment, you can have an encounter with God and it changed entirety of your trajectory of thinking and life, emotions, and he can bring it all into alignment in such a way that your life is radically reversed for his glory. And I mean reverse because we were never intended to live this way. And the reversal is not just reversing of behaviors. The reversal is bringing us back into the kingdom. So that we can celebrate life eternal with Jesus. And though we can't fully see him right now, one day we will fully see him. My niece is up there worshiping Jesus unedited. I don't know what they're doing up there, but if they were to do some of the things up there that they would do down here in the middle of us, we'd probably just freak out. I mean, I really don't know, but it's got to be pretty amazing. And it's got to be something inside of this says, God, I want to do that. Take off the shackles of, of watching, of, of who's watching me or how am I acting. And God, help me to love you just crazy. To fall in love with you in such a way that my hope becomes a radical leverage for others to see him powerful what Mary's song here the hope for a new world hope for the forgotten hope for the poor and the fragile hope that God would fulfill his promises to Abraham and the descendants justice based on the righteousness of God 
people will say, but what if someone doesn't know Jesus and they've never confessed that? You could say, well, you could look at the fruit of their life, although I'm a little bit careful of that simply because God judges with righteousness and it's always perfect execution of his judgment. We judge sometimes based on what we see a lot of times. And I know the whole concept where we can be fruit inspectors. But you know what I mean. We don't know what that last moment of breath but we know that when God judges, is judged by his righteousness, which is the, the, the foundation of his throne. And when he judges, it is perfect. That should give us confidence to know that no matter what kind of judgment we may feel at times, it does not compare and cannot be fair to the judgment of God's sovereignty. But Advis brings us hope restored in the birth and the life, and that we have new hope in a relationship with Jesus, as 2 Corinthians declares, 5, 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. There's the hope. That old nasty man, he's passed away. Stop giving him breath. Stop trying to feed him. <laughs> he's dead. You know, in the prisons, when they talked about tying somebody uh, to your back, uh, if you had done, if you'd murdered somebody or done offense or killed somebody, they literally would tie that dead person to your back and you would carry that person around as it rotted, eventually killing you. So I don't know about you, but I don't want all stinky old man rotting on my back. And I don't want to carry him around. He weighs too much. We need to be set free from that because God declared him dead. And this is a reason that we have so much hope. And that's why the Bible says, don't be so laden down with heavy stuff. But be free. Your old man, if he's speaking into your old woman, speaking into you lies about who you once were. There's no hope. Why? Because Satan doesn't really honestly want you to see that. That you are free. And that we have the responsibility every day to remind that old man that it has no authority in my life. It's dead. And that I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus and you, old man, have passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them. Thank you, Jesus. And then entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Boom! There's the hope. The message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Hope that will never leave us or forsake us. Romans 8 38 through 39, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angel nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation would be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We need to get past just the syntax here and just seeing it as a bunch of words. See, the reason some of us are, are a stump, we're plugged into our faith. But life is lacking vibrancy. You haven't produced a new shoot in a long time. 
and you have to take a self-reflective moment and say, why are there not new shoots in my life growing up? I seem to be stuck in this place where I once was vibrant, and I mean, I was producing fruit right and left, and they were remaining. In fact, some of that fruit is still remaining, but there's a dullness in my life. I'm just stuck in the routine of life every day, and I feel like a stump. God birthed from this stump new life and new shoot in my life so that there is freshness coming out of me. I can't keep offering fresh fruit from an experience that I had at the master's table 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago. I need to offer people fresh fruit, fresh food from a fresh experience. I need a fresh shoot, Lord, in my life. So how hungry are you? How determined are you? How committed are you to saying, God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, Lord, for you to birth out of this dull stump something that is full of life. Because that stump that produced the shoot is filled with the breath and life of Jesus. So it's not just a shoot. It is a shoot that is filled with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God, the Trinity. It is a shoot that is meant to produce life. And that's what God wants to do in our life. There needs to be a radical awakening and shifting within the church. We can't just keep looking at the word saying, that's a cute little sermon. We have to take inventory of why most people within the church, based on statistics that I've read from Barna all the way to others, that the nominal church is nominal because they choose to be nominal. There is nothing sadder to see in a hopeless world than a hopeless church. Playing games and thinking that, you know what, today's a cute little Advent day. But digging deeper and say, God, I know there's something more there. How do I posture myself to begin allowing you to flow the nutrients through this stump in such a way that something begins to grow? Something begins to come out of me, Lord. Something that gives life to the hopeless. That's what Christmas Advent is all about. Why did Jesus come to set the captives free? And we've got to give them exactly what Jesus gave us, life. We've got to offer it to them. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us not trying, but training. It's one of my favorite concepts. Stop trying to do something that gives you the reason for excuse. And by the way, Scripture not once uses the word trying. Train yourselves in the way that you should go. Train your children the way that they should go. Train, put on your armor, train, commit to training. Well, Lord, I'm trying. No, I don't want you to try. Put on your equipment and start training. Ungodliness and worldly passion to live self-controlled, upright, 
and glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Advent reminds us that our hope is sure. And so the season of Advent is not about gifts and lights. That's wonderful. I, when I'm with my family and we're reading the Advent story and we're doing devotions and Advent devotions, I feel like I want to snuggle up with a cup of coffee to a warm fireplace in the Christmas tree with my family and let Christ just speak to us. I just want to snuggle up with him. Advent reminds us that God is going to set the world right. Let me read again. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion, the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them, a little child. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. I got to see that. If there's anything I got to get to heaven for, I got to see that. And the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hands on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. Advent reminds us of this beautiful hope. Revelation points us that way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. But you see how this hope is connecting? So the, the journey that I was trying to walk us through as faithfully as I know how to do, is to help us to see that God from centuries and even before Christ came, hope has always been part of the process of keeping our, active, our faith active and moving forward. Because anytime you look prophetically at what God's word says, it is also verified now in real time through the New Testament, but it's also real and verified in real time right now in your life sitting here or you wouldn't be here. Some of you at times wanted to give up. Something stirred in you. Somebody called you. They gave you a word of encouragement. Somebody gave you a hug and said, I'm praying for you. I remember one time I was ready to walk out of church years ago and I was just having a difficult time connecting. And this little lady from the front of our church, I was sitting up in the balcony of the church. She didn't really know me, but she came up, she sat right beside me. She said, I've been watching you. <laughs> nobody noticed but this woman God put her her eyes on me to watch me an elderly woman and she walked up those stairs I saw her coming and she sat down beside me she said I've been watching you and she said you're trying to get out and God says move back in that word that she gave me changed my entire life in a moment because she instilled hope in a person that I just couldn't find it. I was new to faith and I didn't understand so much and I wanted to go back to old ways. And she saw that. I heard a shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. I think that's the thing I'm feeling most right now in life is God, I want you to be with me. This world feels increasingly unsafe and hostile. 
God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. Or things, these things are gone forever. So if you're carrying pain, you're carrying trauma from the past. You're depressed, anxious, you're confused. All those things, I can say it as easily as Paul said, hope in God. It reminds us that in 1 Corinthians, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of the great harvest, all who have died. You see, God wants to instill hope in us during this Advent season. And he wants us to remind us that we're not just living day to day. He wants to remind us that we're on a journey that requires us to have hope. Even more so as the days of wickedness increase. There needs to be a confidence in believers that is unshakable. That you're not moved, so what if they declare <laughs> Armageddon? So what? That does not misplace the authority of a fact that's connected to my faith that no matter what happens in this world, hey, you and I have not faced prison in prison every day where our life was almost taken every day. But yet Paul writes the bulk of the New Testament. He's speaking with joy in the midst of a dark prison cell. Why? Because hope is more powerful than a circumstance. So God wants us to have hope in this Advent season, hope that he has not forgotten you, hope that you are his child, hope that your sins are forgiven, and hope that he is returning. Here's some really practical ways as we get ready to close. I want to really encourage you to not allow the busyness of the holidays to rob you of anything that God has placed in you. In fact, stir up and choose to commit to stir up that which God has placed in you more than other things in your life. Read an Advent devotional series. I did not know they were giving one out today, but I was praying last night, God, how do we get an Advent devotional? I walked in and Pastor Noel sitting back there <laughs> holding one. I said, is that an Advent devotional? God gave me hope. Here's your hope. <laughs> I'm going to fill it with everyone. I'm going to get every one of those. So grab one on your way out. Take time with people. Invite a friend over. Invite a friend that's not a believer over. And just love on them. Share a good meal with them. Share hope with them. Remember your neighbors. And above all, be patient. Because we're waiting for something grand. We're waiting for something so much bigger. So much more powerful. No mind, no eye. I can't even imagine of what God has prepared for us. And that's why I'm saying what they do up there, if they did down here, I don't know what we'd do. <laughs> Bottom line is, have hope. Our king is returning. And I do feel led to do this. We're good on time. I feel a strong urgency that some of you are sitting here today and you're just like a stump. There's not been a fresh shoot from you of the spirit in a long time. You've allowed things to clot it. You've ignored it. You've ignored convictions. I've been guilty of that many times in my life. I'm not exempt from any of the things I'm saying. But I know that we're living in a time where God wants stumps to start producing shoots.
And I don't know where you are in your life. But God does. And he knows exactly to get what you need for nutrients, nutrients to start producing something fresh in your life. All you got to do is say, God, I want to surrender right now and be specific. Lord, I have just been playing this Christian thing for a long time. I've just been sitting here in church. Listen, I did it for almost four years. And finally, the Lord released me back there. And he said, I want you to start putting your hand out whenever a door is open to you. Just start engaging again. Stop being a stump, Mark. And I started engaging and now I'm preaching. I said I was never going to preach again. I was never going to pastor again. You can't get away from a calling that God has anointed you to be a part of a process of, to edify the body, to do what you can to help prepare a people ready for the Lord. But I can't do it with my old understanding. So God produced some new shoots in my life to emerge and to know how to engage what you're doing right now because it's different than the past. So some of you need a fresh shoot. <laughs> so as the worship is coming, you know, song that I thought was really good, um, and I'm not even going to try to sing it. Um, what was the song, Mary? We talked about it this morning. No, no, what was the name of that song? you know that song? If not, just play anything. <laughs> anything, just, just any kind of worship is good. So I want, if, you, if, you, if you're in that place in your life, I want you to come on up here and I want you to take a bold step because part of the confession which brings healing is saying, hey, I'm acknowledging and I'm being vulnerable before my community and God's people that I want to grow new shoots. And I want to be able to cultivate that in my life right now more than anything because I need it. I need fresh insights. I need fresh experiences of God. I need to be able to pick up his word and read it with fresh interpretation because the interpretation of my experiences are insufficient for God to reveal new revelation. And if I want new revelation of who he is, I need to see God for who he is in a growing capacity. And that means I need to see Jesus in a new way. And that means I need new shoots out of this old stump. If that's you this morning, don't hesitate.